Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we catch up on the CAF Champions League with a possibility of an all-Egyptian or all-Moroccan final. And we take a trip to Tanzania and find out about one of Africa's biggest derbies, the Dar es Salaam derby between Yanga and Simba. The 10,000 knot in Tanzania, um, the money that is, is red and white. But Yanga fans would rather, you know, some of them, the radicals, would rather not be paid or make any business with the 10,000 um, shilling knot. Fascinating report coming up from Tanzania. And in Europe, we get Stuart's thoughts on Liverpool's early exit from the Champions League. Well, it's been a turbulent week in sport with the coronavirus pandemic having a huge impact on travel, on business and on sport as well. Things are developing fast all the time. But on Wednesday, the Confederation of African Football announced that all of its competitions will go ahead as scheduled, arguing that the World Health Organization has not declared any African country as a high-risk zone. So as it stands, this month's Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers will be played as scheduled, along with the CAF Champions League and Confederation Cup fixtures. But the Kenyan government have said they won't participate in any international sport for a month. Madagascar's government has said a similar thing. Lesotho have stopped travel in and out of the country. So really, it will be no surprise if those games are postponed eventually. The Confederation of African Football says that for the African Nations Championship, which is due to start on the 4th of next month in Cameroon, a delegation from the CAF Medical Committee will visit Cameroon this weekend. This is to assess the preventive measures taken by the local organising committee. We'll be following the progress and we've got a poll on Twitter and on Facebook asking if you think that Africa's top football leagues should all start playing behind closed doors to protect fans and the spread of coronavirus. At the moment, 75% say yes, uh, we must protect fans, and 25% say that we should carry on as normal. You can have your say on our Twitter handle, at Planet Sport FA, or go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. Well, it's been a huge week for Zambian football as the country qualified for the Olympic women's football tournament for the first time. They beat Cameroon 2-1 in Lusaka to win the tie on away goals as it ended 4-4 on aggregate in the final tie in qualifying for Africa. Cameroon going to a playoff with Chile next month. Now, at the 2016 Olympics, Africa was represented by South Africa and by Zimbabwe, who were surprise qualifiers, knocking out Cameroon on away goals, just as Zambia did this week. Now, the tournament was downsized for 2020, with only one guaranteed slot for Africa. There were five rounds of qualifying to get through, and Ida, Zambia have done amazingly well. They really have, and kudos to them, Steve, because Cameroon isn't a small team, and at least within the continent. They were at the 2019 World Cup, and, you know, one could have been forgiven for thinking that ultimately their experience would have them pip through over Zambia. Well, that wasn't the case, second time in a row, as you've said there, so that's bound to sting. Uh, but the second leg win for the Copper Queens, Steve, was despite them being reduced to 10 women. So I also think that speaks loads to their character. You know, I'm sure a bit of luck was needed needed somewhere there, but that's usually the recipe, you know. Um, looking at Cameroon, well, uh, they will face Chile in that April playoff. Chile, a very decent team, 
ranked 36th in the world currently and um, fresh from the Turkish Women's Cup. So um, the Turkish Cup was an eight nations invitational tournament, Steve, and uh, Chile topped their group, uh, went and beaten in the midst there, you know, gave a very humbling lesson to Kenya's Harambe Starlets, beat them 5-0. So the indomitable Lionesses, Steve, will probably wish that they could have wrapped it up within the African qualifiers. I'm sure they will rue their chances. But looking at the the football within the Olympics, it's always very refreshing. And oftentimes it's because it gives chances to to lesser known teams. I mean, you're talking about 2016 South Africa, Zimbabwe qualifying. And, you know, that was a stepping stone for South Africa to then do very well later that year. So, you know, that novelty, Steve, is usually quite different from, say, the Africa Women's Cup of Nations or, you know, even the FIFA World Cup qualifiers, where you tend to see the same African teams dominating. Yeah, it's interesting that we seem to get more surprises in Olympic qualifying for the women than in other women's tournaments in Africa. Now to the CAF Champions League and two Egyptian sides and two Moroccan sides are through to the semi-finals. And there's a chance that there could be, for the first time, two teams from the same country in the final. That's because Widad Casablanca of Morocco play Al-Athli of Egypt and Raja Casablanca of Morocco take on Zamalek of Egypt. The two non-North African clubs were knocked out in the quarter-finals. Al-Athli beat Sundowns of South Africa. Raja Casablanca knocked out DRC Giants TP Mazembe. So the North African dominance will continue, Ida. It continues, Steve, and we need to zero in on exactly why North Africa seems to be so ahead of the rest of the continent when it comes to football. You know, over the years, it's been put down to a couple of things, you know, better resources, structures, infrastructure. You know, some people have even put it down to very arguable officiating in the past. (laughs) But whatever it is, it definitely does leave the rest of Africa playing catch up. But while the CAF Champions League has certainly never experienced, you know, a final with both teams from the same country, um, the CAF Confederation Cup has experienced it twice. So the first in 2004, when uh, Ghana's Asante Kotoko clashed with bitter rivals Hearts of Oak, and then again four years later, when uh, Tunisia's CS Paxian beat uh, countryman Etoile du Sahel. So we're waiting to see, Steve, if history will be made in the top tier this time round. Indeed. Well, thanks, Ida. In the CAF Confederation Cup this time, two Moroccan teams will clash in the semi-finals. That's RS Burkhan and Hassania Agadir. And Morocco became the first country to get all four of their teams into the semis for the Champions League and for the Confederation Cup. Uh, the other semi-finalists in the Confed Cup are Pyramids of Egypt, taking on Horoya of Guinea. Now, one of the biggest fixtures in African football was on last weekend in Tanzania as Young Africans, or Yanga, beat Simba 1-0 in front of a 60,000-capacity crowd at the National Stadium in Dar es Salaam. This fixture is up there with the Soweto derby in South Africa between Orlando Pirates and Kaiser Chiefs and the massive fixture in DR Congo between AS Vita and TP Mazembe. Now, Asha Komagisha is based in Uganda, but she travelled to Tanzania to watch the Dar es Salaam derby. She joins us on the show this week. So what was the atmosphere like, Asha? Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. The Dar es Salaam derby for me is among the top three derbies on the African continent. I'd like to believe that any African football fan needs to put this on his or her bucket list. This is something that is 
thrilling. You just have to be there to understand, you know, the, the kind of quality football, the rivalry, the history of this game. And uh, just to show you that really football is the beautiful game. And looking specifically at this game, Simba came into this one looking to revenge for a January result that was a draw, a 2-2 draw. Simba on the table standings going into this one with 21 points ahead and definitely are in charge of their destiny. They will win the league and and qualify for the CAF Champions League. So Yanga had everything, you know, to prove that you can win the title, but we are definitely going to win this one. And there was a vibe about the Simba uh, fans, they were the ones buying the jerseys. They went to the stadium in big numbers. I would like to believe, according to my eyes, <laughs> that they filled at least two thirds of that stadium. They really thought that, you know, they will um, have a good result in this one. The younger fans, you know, they had not won uh, the derby in four years. Can you imagine that? So uh, this was definitely going to be um, one of those games. So coming out, Bernard Morrison, Ghanaian, who has immersed himself into this one. Uh, of course, having experience from uh, Asante Kotoko and Hatsavok, uh, which is the biggest derby in Ghana. Uh, but, you know, experiencing this one, he scored a fantastic... Uh, free kick from that moment on I'd like to believe that Yanga you know controlled the game um, it was an amazing game uh, the CAF president was in uh, attendance uh, Ahmad Ahmad but also surprise surprise the president of Tanzania made it to the stadium uh, albeit wearing um, half uh, Yanga and, and half Simba uh, shot <laughs> which you know got the fans um, you know saying look um, that's quite interesting, but the Simba fans believe, um, according to rumors, that every time he comes to the stadium to watch um, the derby, Simba lose. So indeed, they went on to lose that game, but um, thrilling, thrilling um, game. And and just to give you a bit of um, uh, what what this means. You know, it just gives bragging rights. You know, on Monday, everyone in Dar es Salaam who is a younger fan was wearing their jersey to office. That's how big this this one is and how good um, uh, it feels for them to have won the W. Well, the younger fans must really have enjoyed that. And tell us a bit about the background and the history of this rivalry, Asha. Yanga is the oldest club in Tanzania. It was formed in 1935 and the original name really is uh, Young Africans. But Yanga is sort of like a wrong pronunciation um, of Yang. <laughs> so um, what happened is this was a club that was formed, um, you know, by the Africans, black people in Tanzania. And they used this really to express themselves. And later on, um, it would uh, turn out that the nationalists that were fighting for the independence of Tanzania um, used the club younger to um, fight for independence and, and sort of uh, relate uh, to, to, to the club with that. And you can see that um, the colors of, of younger, green and yellow, are also the national colors of Tanzania with uh, some blue in there now um, but the way that Simba was created was there was a disagreement with the younger fans and so the Arabs you know decided to create their own club um, Simba so younger fans actually called their team Team Yawanainchi 
you know, meaning that this is the team of the citizens. Um, and so the rivalry has been there since then. Um, Yanga is the most successful club. They've won uh, 22 league titles. Simba have won 20. They're trying to catch up and perhaps, you know, make it better. You can see that uh, they've tried to do so much in terms of turning uh, uh, a professional club. But yeah, the rivalry uh, goes all the way. It's um, a Kariako derby. Kariako really is an area in Dar es Salaam that has the biggest market in East and Central Africa. It's um, very, very wide. Um, there's so many, you know, thousands of people that um, do business there. And, and that's where the two clubs have um, their offices. So uh, Simba is on Simbazi Street and you have Yanga on uh, Jangwani Street. And, uh, you know, the rivalry just goes all the way. It's so deep. Uh, I'll explain it this way. The 10,000 knot in Tanzania, um, the money that is, is red and white. But Yanga fans would rather, you know, some of them, the <laughs> radicals, would rather not be paid or make any business with the 10,000 um, shilling knots. So it, it's that deep, you know, it's <laughs> it, it's something that is crazy. And and also just to explain to you um, that in the stadium, people have to make sure that they sit on the side of their club. There's no mixing at all. And so it's, it's really a deep rivalry, but it is amazing. You have to be there to understand um, that these people are uh, in love you know with their own football and with their clubs well what a rivalry and with all of the administrative issues at a calf of late dominating the headlines i guess it must have been exciting to see that african football is still very much alive with matches like this Oh, yes, absolutely. There's a lot happening on the African continent outside of CAF's um, travels and mistakes, I must say. Um, just the other day, I was watching Roger uh, in Casablanca playing against Tipi Mazembe, and they accepted um, all Tipi Mazembe funds to enter for free. That's the kind of sportsmanship that we're talking about. And, you know, to see that, um, you know, people love their football. People come out in big numbers. Um, it's just that, of course, it's the biggest game, you know. It's it, not all the games can have these numbers. But, yes, beautiful reminder that African football is alive and that people, people really, really look forward to supporting um, their teams and that they reflect easily with um, uh, the, 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 the players, the club, the identity, and that it's massive. It was really beautiful to see that. Well, what an amazing experience that must have been, the Dar es Salaam derby. Thanks very much to Asha Komagisha joining us on Planet Sport Football Africa this week. The show brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs too in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can follow us on Twitter too. Our handle is at Planet Sport FA. Now, on last week's show, we went to Ghana and we heard about the hashtag Bring Back the Love campaign for the national team. As fans have been through frustrating times of late, we heard from fans in Accra and asked her, do you find yourself sometimes falling in and out of love with your national team? And what are some of the moments where you've been on a high with your national team and the moments where your love has been at a low? Well, this question has triggered another high response from all across the continent. Here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard. Well, thank you then, Steve. And uh, we'll start today with Dela Akafia, who is in Ghana, where our report came from last week. The love for our national team got lost when the Brazil incident happened, says Dela. 
Well, yes, if you remember, that was back in 2014 when the Ghanaian government had to fly more than $3 million in cash to Black Stars players at the World Cup in Brazil who threatened to go on strike if they weren't paid. Not a good chapter in the history of uh, Ghanaian football, that. And Dela continues, My love for the team got resurrected during the recent World Cup two years ago. But as at now, the Bring Back the Love campaign seems to be yielding only a little result here in Ghana. And it won't survive because it's politics in the selection of the national team, says Dela. Clement is also in Ghana. Well, I'm also Ghanaian, and I must say that the Ghanaian national team really disappoints, says Clement. The coaches don't really get the best from the players, so they end up losing games they shouldn't lose. In a nutshell, I have really fallen out of love with the national team. Kunda Francis Piri is in Zambia. Right now, I don't like the way our national team is being administered in Zambia, says Kunda. I have fallen out of love with them. The high point was winning the AFCON in 2012. Those were good times. I think we need to change our association president. On the pitch, it goes down to youth development. We need to put structures in place and see how young players progress over time, playing in competitive competitions. Muno John is also in Zambia. Being Zambian, we Zambians are football mad people, and that includes me, says Muno. No one loves losing. That sinking feeling is a bad experience. The 2012 Africa Cup of Nations was the highlight of the love for the national team from my perspective. The country was more united and pursued the common love for the game. The lowest moment has been recently seeing the country miss out on consecutive AFCON finals. But overall, the 2012 moment in Gabon, winning so close to where our 1993 team had perished, was very sweet. Uh, Yes, indeed, and that victory then over the Ivory Coast, 8-7 on penalties, took place just a few miles from where 18 Zambia players lost their lives in that 1993 disaster when their plane crashed shortly after takeoff on its way to a World Cup qualifier against Senegal in Dakar. To the Gambia now, and Lamine Sonko says, Sometimes, a few years ago, watching the Gambia play was almost unbearable because national teams came to our own soil and comfortably gave us hard knocks. But recently, their performances at home and away are beginning to earn our love and support. It will be a moment of great pride should the Scorpions beat Gabon in two weeks' time and progress to AFCON for the first time in their history, says Lamine. Bakri Nayasi is a Gambian currently living in the United Arab Emirates. We have the same issues as Ghana with our national team because we have never qualified for any major competition, but hopefully this time around we will make it, says Bakri. At the moment we're joint top in our AFCON 2021 qualifying group with Gabon and we're playing against them later this month. Well, across to Kenya now and here's Dan Ogega. As for me, says Dan, I love my national team regardless of the outcomes. It's a show of love for my country. We spent close to 15 years without qualifying for a major tournament and that was quite disheartening. However, making a comeback to the 2019 AFCON was my highest point. I sometimes feel the leaders are the ones making the fans suffer for not facilitating the national team as it should be, says Dan. And Joachim Modanga is in neighbouring Uganda. 
Football is funny, says Jerkim. When you're a fan with hard feelings, you will be annoyed when your team doesn't perform well. Personally, I cannot hate my national team, but in Africa, most national teams are influenced by our governments. So if the team is not doing well, I can definitely show my dissatisfaction by not supporting the team. And maybe that could wake them up, says Jerkim. Baiten Mchiko is in Malawi. The only time I felt being on a high with our national team was when we qualified for AFCON in Angola, but that was 10 years ago in 2010. Talking about the low moments, well, there were just too many, to the extent that I'm used to it now, says Baiten. And Ephrathar Kamanga is also in Malawi, and he has to go back even further to find his personal highlight. The moment we defeated Egypt in a World Cup qualifier in 2008, every Malawian was on cloud nine, says Afrithar. We have not done well since then, but I still love my national team, the Flames. So there you are then, Steve. There's an understandable frustration here for many of our correspondents this week. But uh, underlying that, it's also quite clear to me to see a deep patriotism and desire for their national teams to do well. Indeed, and I must say well done to Dan Ogega in Kenya, who says he always stands by his team, but uh, must say it's painful sometimes for most of us as fans, isn't it? Now, on that to report last week, we did uh, hear about the hashtag Bring Back the Love campaign and whether it will succeed. Commenting on this, a Clement in Ghana said, I think it will succeed in the sense that some foreign-born Ghanaian players who are doing well in their respective leagues now understand the need to play for Ghana, and the team is looking improved, and with the Ayu brothers also coming back to form this could really trigger happy moments for Ghanaians says Clement well thanks for that Clement uh, now let's focus on European football here on Planet Sport Football Africa brought to you by Passion for Sport I'm joined by Stuart Weir our European football expert and Stuart absolute drama in the UEFA Champions League as holders Liverpool went out 4-2 on aggregate to Atletico Madrid having been ahead in extra time at Anfield on Wednesday uh, so now the Reds will win the English Premier League for the first time in 30 years they'll do it by a massive margin but they're out in the round of 16 in the Champions League for the first time since 2006 so it's sort of a bittersweet maybe for the fans incredible Steve Atletico Madrid scoring three extra time goals to reach the quarterfinals I mean Liverpool arguably were the better team and had lots of chances but you know these two-legged ties with away goals counting double when scores are equal, have a special character. And Liverpool, to be honest, put themselves under a lot of pressure by losing and failing to score in the away leg. So Liverpool, as you say, are left with only the Premier League title to chase. And in a way, I think that's bound to be an anticlimax for them. Incidentally, the Ghanaian Thomas Partey had an excellent game for Atletico uh, in their victory. But... It wasn't the only English disaster this week since Tottenham Hotspur lost 3-0 away to Leipzig, 4-0 on aggregate. And remember that in the group stage, Tottenham had lost 7-2 and 3-1 to Bayern Munich. Spurs just look a shadow of the team that reached the final of the Champions League last season. And incidentally, Hadari from Mali was on the bench for Leipzig, but he was unused. Paris Saint-Germain beat Dortmund 3-2 in aggregate, highlighting the importance of that first leg away goal that the French team got in Germany. And incidentally, great to see Adrissa Gay from Senegal, who of course played for Aston Villa and Everton, playing strongly in the PSG team. 
Now, the fourth winner this week was Atalanta, 4-3 winners over Valencia following a 4-1 first leg victory. But this is an incredible story, Steve, because Atalanta are playing in the Champions League for the first time. After four games at the group stage, they had got precisely one point, having lost 4-0 to Zagreb, 5-1 to Manchester City. But when they won their last two group games, seven points was enough to get them through. And incidentally, before this week's game, Atlanta had scored 12 Champions League goals. And amazingly, those came from 10 different players of nine different nationalities. But in the 4-3 win in Valencia, Josep Illich decided to change things and scored all four himself. Well, amazing stuff that uh, from Illich. Now, on social media this week, we're asking, is Liverpool's season good enough? Yes, they'll win the Premier League for the first time in 30 years and they'll do it by a big, big margin. But uh, going out in the round of 16 in the Champions League for the first time since 2006. So should Liverpool fans be disappointed or should they be happy? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double. Five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Now, in the Europa League on Thursday night, Nigeria striker Odion Igalo scored a wonderful goal away to LASK of Austria. Some great control and smashing the ball in off the underside of the bar. Igalo's was the opening goal in a 5-0 win. And Man United play away to Tottenham on Sunday in the big game of the weekend in the English Premier League. And, Stuart, would you say that Man United are turning the corner maybe now with that derby win over Man City last weekend? doing the double over City and boasting pretty good results against the big teams this season and now 11 games unbeaten in all competitions. Well, you know, Steve, the confidence level of the two teams going into that Tottenham Man U game on Sunday could hardly be more different. Tottenham have taken one point from the last nine in the Premier League as well as that disastrous 3-0 defeat in Leipzig in the Champions League. Of course, Tottenham are without Harry Kane, but it's the defence that's letting them down. Manchester United's 2-0 win over Manchester City at the weekend was arguably their best performance of the season and such a psychological boost to them. Remarkably, it was their fourth game with Manchester City this season and they've won three of them. There were so many stars in the Manchester United team. Their new signing in the January transfer window, Bruno Fernandes, has settled in very quickly and looks a world-class player. The Brazilian Fred, frankly, has looked lost and only got 13 starts last season. But he's really found his form and found his role in the team and is bossing the midfield. Great to see Eric Bailly coming on as a substitute. The Ivorian, of course, is still getting back to match fitness after that long injury layoff. But, you know, the man of the match for me was right back Juan Bissaka, who was up against Raheem Sterling. And I don't believe that Sterling got the ball past him once in 90 minutes. He really looks a top defender. Born in London of Congolese parents, he actually played for the under-20s of DR Congo before deciding to commit his future to England. A couple of things I want to mention, Steve. Scott McTominay's second goal for Manchester United was hit from 35 metres. And none of the previous 779 Premier League goals were hit from so far out. And the goal came in the 96th minute. 
Manchester United have not scored as late as that since the Sir Alex Ferguson era, and we used to call that Fergie time. Oh, those were the days. <laughs> and uh, what else do you have for us, Stuart? Well, Crystal Palace are playing really well at the moment, including three wins in a row, and an African striker is playing a key role. I'm not talking about Wilfred Zaha, but the Ghanaian Jordan Ayew, who scored his eighth goal of the season against Watford. But what makes his goal so significant is that he chooses when he scores, like he scored the winner against Aston Villa, Brighton, twice against West Ham and Watford. And he also scored against Arsenal to give them a draw, actually twice against Arsenal to give them a draw. So that's 10 points have come from his goals. Last weekend, we saw Southampton's Musa Gineppo from Mali red carded by VAR. But what was interesting to see, that referee Graham Scott initially gave a yellow card. Prompted by VAR, he went to the touchline and viewed the incident on the monitor himself and changed his decision. While no one wants to see a red card, I was pleased to see the referee taking charge of the decision and making it himself rather than simply being told by VAR. We've talked in previous programmes about the importance of television revenue, and that includes a payment to a club when they're shown on live TV. Now, the Manchester Derby last weekend was the 20th successive away game that Manchester City were televised. On the other hand, Southampton have only had three of their last 33 games on the box. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Oh, indeed. Uh, Well, thanks very much, Stuart. Uh, That's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir and Adrian Barnard in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.